0: Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of CMS Pensions Lawcast. This is the final instalment in a three-part series on pensions de-risking. And today we'll be looking at hot topics in the bulk annuities market. That is, what are some some of the current issues facing trustees when they go to buy-in and then ultimately buy-out the liabilities of their pension scheme with an insurance company? My name is Maria Rodier and I'm a partner in the CMS Pensions team. And joining me today are Amanda Chammings, a senior associate, and Elaine He, an associate in the CMS Pensions team, along with industry expert Uzma Nazir, who is head of origination structuring at Pension Insurance Corporation, one of the largest insurers in the bulk annuities market. Today, Uzma, Elaine, Amanda and I will be taking you through the following. Firstly, Uzma will be updating us on what the market looks like in these uncertain times. Is it still a good time for trustees to even consider a transaction of this nature? Are deals still being done? And most importantly, what does the pricing look like? Secondly, Elaine will be discussing a specific type of cover, residual risks cover, which is becoming more and more popular in the market and some key issues that trustees should be thinking about if they are considering a residual risks deal. Amanda will then spend some time looking at the type of security available for members, for example, Will cover still be available from the Pension Protection Fund? And finally, I'll be briefly discussing a current hot legal topic the potential loss of tax protection for some pensioners when the scheme moves to buyout. OK, Usma, over to
1: you.
2: Thanks, Maria. I'm going to start off by giving you the uh, background on the bulk annuity market over 2020 to date. So, firstly, we've had a very busy 2020. And that has been noted in the volume of business that has been written to date. The last published figures are the half one 2020 figures where 12.6 billion of business has been written both through buy-ins and buy-outs across the industry. This is actually the second biggest half year, uh, half first year in the bulk annuity market to date. The busiest was last year. So this just shows that buy-ins and buy-outs are still being written even in these uncertain times. It's actually quite competitive pricing as well that trustees are finding. So for pensioner buy-ins, there are about six insurers who you're able to get a quote from, and many processes up to those six people do quote for them. For buy-out deals, uh, there's about four insurers quoting on those. And this competition plus current market conditions had, has led to some very competitive pricing over 2020. So how has the industry coped with COVID? Well, I can speak from PIC's experiences in that we did seem to adapt quite seamlessly uh, to those uncertain times. So we just switched to working from home. Everybody had laptops. All of the deals that we we're working on continued. In terms of paying our pensioners, which is our purpose, they also continued seamlessly. Our administrators went from working in the office to working from home, still answering member phone calls. No sort of delay to the service and actually um, service levels that have been very high during this period. Everybody that we've been dealing with, consultants, lawyers, Um, uh, And uh, trustees have all been working from home and there has been really no delay to business as usual activities. We did find that there were a few transactions uh, that didn't complete when they were supposed to. And that was really in the height of sort of April, uh, March, April. When when everybody went to working from home and the markets reacted to the covid news. And really, those transactions didn't happen because there were liquidity concerns in the market. So trustees were getting advice that actually if they transfer their assets to an insurer or they liquidate their assets, there's going to be very high dealing costs because there are these liquidity constraints What I'm pleased to report, though, is that all of those transactions that were delayed have now completed or are about to be completed. And those concerns of liquidity did go away after one or two months. So that's a really positive outcome uh, for both trustees and insurers that even in uncertain times, business as usual can continue. In terms of some of the themes that we've seen, over the bulk annuity market during 2020? Well, it's fair to say actually that we received more business in during March and April in these uncertain times than than over other times during the year. So we actually received 3.5 billion of new transactions during March and April. And that was really a combination of two things. One was market conditions. Uh, market, market uncertainty actually creates opportunity and there was some investment opportunity um, with, with heightened credit spreads over this period and trustees wanted to take advantage of that. <clears throat> uh, the other reason was that schemes who are looking to de-risk have actually been planning this for quite some time. Um, it's not an overnight decision to, to transfer liabilities and de-risk. Schemes have been de-risking for a while and have a plan to uh, annuitize. And that really hasn't stopped and for some schemes they've actually seen the uncertain times as as being a need to accelerate some of those processes another theme that we've seen over 2020 is existing clients who've done a tranche of liabilities now ensuring their next tranche so their next pensioner buy-in or ensuring the deferreds to complete a buyout we've had a number of those transactions over 2020. The next theme is large transactions. Uh, So we have seen a number of large transactions this year. The biggest one is the 1.6 billion MNOPF longevity swap conversion to a buy-in. That happened in in half one. That was a deal with PIC where CMS advised us. The next big deal was the co-op transaction where a billion pounds was transacted for a pensioner buy-in with PIC and also a billion pounds with Aviva. We've had a number of other transactions um, which are in the sort of 500 to £1 billion pound mark. And I expect the £1 billion pound transactions to carry on in the second half of 2020, with some due to be announced quite shortly. And, and I'm sure there'll be some further more by the end of 2020. So lastly, I'd like to finish off by saying that we are on track for a £25 billion year. In the bulk annuity market for the whole of 2020, and that would be the second largest ever for the bulk annuity market. Last year was the outlier, which had 40, 40 billion plus of liabilities transacted, but that was really driven by a small number of large schemes all happening to go to buyout at the same time. Now, while 2020 won't get there, we're actually in a in conversations with a number of pension schemes, large pension schemes who are looking to de-risk, and I imagine they'll all come to market over the next few years. So uh, I'd say that the bulk annuity market is resilient. £25 billion is probably the new norm for a business as usual year, but we could see some years with uh, 30 40 billion worth of transactions, depending on when the very large schemes want to transact. I'll now pass over to Elaine, who's going to talk some more about the bulk newt market.
1: Thanks, Isma. It's really interesting to see where the market is at the moment, and it's encouraging there's a strong volume of deals going on despite the current circumstances. So as Maria touched on, one of the things that we're seeing in, is an increased number of our trustee clients thinking about the residual risks buy-in. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how the cover under residual risks buy-in will differ from a standard buy-in and what trustees want to be thinking about if they're considering going down the residual risks route. So what distinguishes residual risk from a standard buy-in is the level of cover under the policy. Under standard buy-in, the insurer will only provide cover for benefits in accordance with the benefit specification attached to the policy and in respect of the beneficiaries specified in the data that's provided to the insurer at the time. Sometimes new members can be added as part of a data cleanse process, but this would be subject to a price adjustment. In contrast, the cover under residual risks buy-in will go further. So subject to the exclusions under the residual risks policy, which is something I'll go on to talk about in a moment, in broad terms, a residual risks policy will start from providing the trustee the same kind of cover as a standard buy-in, but also covers the risk that there's a discrepancy between the benefit specification and members' actual legal entitlements or um, where there are any members entitled to benefits from the pension scheme who've been missed out in the member data. These two elements are what we call residual risk cover. And if there's a valid claim under that cover, then the insurer will increase the money it pays to the trustee without charging any additional premium. To put it another way, residual risk cover is meant to address the possibility that current scheme practice, despite all reasonable efforts, doesn't quite have things right. For example, it might be that some individuals are entitled to more generous benefits um, based on augmentation promises, or it might be that a group of members came across as part of a bulk transfer in and special protections were negotiated into the transfer deed. These can be types of things that aren't noted in the administration records and so haven't historically been put into practice. The extended cover that residual risk offers can all sound very attractive to trustees, but it does come at an additional cost. The exact amount um, will differ from scheme to scheme, but we often see residual risk cover costing additional 1% to 1.5% in premium. Moreover, it's important to keep in mind that residual risk isn't truly all risks because the scope of the cover will always be limited by exclusions. Common types of exclusions that we've seen are things like execution risk, that's the risk that documents weren't signed properly, the risk that Section 67 or 37 certificates weren't obtained when they needed to be, tasks risks, for example, for unauthorized payments, and benefits based on documents or information not disclosed to the insurer. Ultimately, the exclusions will be unique to each scheme, and the exact scope of the exclusions will come out through the due diligence process. Your cover will also be limited by a no digging requirement, which effectively says that unless a member brings forward a claim or something is discovered as part of a business as usual administration process, trustees can't go looking for problems after they got the policy in place. And this brings us on to an important way that residual risk deals differ from a standard buy in. While the insurer will review and agree the benefit specification as part of a standard buy in, the level of due diligence that needs to be undertaken in anticipation of your residual risk deal is much more onerous because the insurer will want to go through everything with a fine-tooth comb to get the best assessment of the potential risks they're taking on. What this means for trustees is that a residual risk deal takes a great deal of time and preparation, both in terms of getting the documentation together in a sensible way to share with the insurer and having the right people in place to address the insurer's questions throughout the due diligence process. So any trustees thinking about residual risk will want to be confident that they have the right resources and experienced team of advisors in place if they're thinking about residual risks. Now I'm going to pass you over to Amanda, who's going to talk about trustee protections when things go wrong after the policy's in place, whether that's on a standard or residual risk basis.
3: As Leigh mentioned, I'm now going to talk briefly about the different protections that exist for members benefits in the event that things go wrong. So, for example, either a sponsoring employer or the insurer that issued a bulk annuity policy go insolvent. These protections vary depending on whether the scheme is in the buy-in or buy-out phase. Therefore, I'll start by looking at the protection available during a buy-in. In In order to enter into a buy-in, whether a partial or a full one, trustees are essentially exercising their investment power to purchase an insurance policy to protect members' benefits. Ultimately, The liability to pay those benefits to members remains with the trustees and the sponsoring employer supporting the scheme in the event that the sponsoring employer becomes insolvent and is no longer possible to meet the liabilities of the scheme the scheme will provided the relevant conditions are met pass to the pension protection fund as you'll be aware this is a statutory fund that aims to pay compensation to members of eligible defined benefit schemes in the event that a sponsoring employer has become insolvent and provided that certain entry conditions are satisfied. Therefore, members would benefit from the same protection they would have if the scheme did not have a bulk annuity policy in place. That's to say that members above normal retirement age at the point a scheme enters into the PPF receive 100% of their benefits. However, for those below normal retirement age, their benefits are subject to a cap. This was set at £41,461 for the 2020-21 year, but it's also worth noting that a recent case of Hughes versus the Board of the PPF ruled that such a cap is unlawful. However, this case is currently under appeal. In certain circumstances, a scheme may be able to provide benefits that are more favourable than those available from the PPF, in which case the scheme comes out of a PPF assessment period and an underfunded wind-up will generally be triggered. Most buying contracts cater for this circumstance and enable the trustees to request amendments to be made to the policy to reflect either a reduction or adjustment to policy benefits. So what happens where a scheme has moved to buyout? In this circumstance, benefits will have been fully secured with an insurer. This means that the sponsor and employer no longer supports the scheme. And if everything has gone to plan, the trustees' liabilities towards the scheme will have been discharged and the scheme wound up. As such, the scheme would no longer be eligible for entry into the PPF. So who would members look to for payment of their benefits? Once the members benefits have been bought out, the risk to members is that the insurer who provides their policy goes insolvent. Firstly, it's worth stating that insurers are obviously heavily regulated entities and they have to meet a number of requirements in relation to the amount of capital they hold. Therefore, an insurer failing is seen as a very low risk but that's not to say that it can't happen. In the event this situation arises, members will be able to look to the financial services compensation scheme. This is a statutory compensation scheme and what's known as a fund of last resort. Generally speaking, the preferred option would be to transfer the business from the failing insurer to another insurer where possible, rather than paying compensation. However, if that is not possible, the financial services compensation scheme, which you might have also heard referred to as the FSCS, protects 100% of claims in relation to long-term insurance, which would capture a buyout policy. And there's also no upper limit. If you're a trustee thinking about entering into a bulk annuity policy, then the protections available to ensure the payment of members' benefits if a sponsoring employer or insurer go insolvent is a point for consideration. I'm now going to pass over to Maria, who's going to talk about fixed protection in a bit more detail.
0: Thanks, Amanda. So first, I think it's worth setting out some background to this issue. The lifetime allowance is the limit on the amount of pension benefits which can be saved and taken without triggering an extra tax charge. The current lifetime allowance is £1,073,100. but as high as 1.8 million in the past and as such certain protections were introduced so that members could protect their pension benefits as the lifetime allowance was reduced. The most common of these is known as fixed protection. The issue that we're talking about today is the potential loss of fixed protection where a pension scheme moves to buy out with an insurer. That is the stage where the insurance policy stops being a contract between the insurer and the trustees and instead individual policies are issued to members but directly from the insurer. This is an issue that's likely to affect a small subset of members due to a gap in legislation fixed protection will not be preserved currently for members who are pensioners in the scheme being bought out but who still have uncrystallised benefits i.e benefits that they haven't already taken in another pension scheme so to be clear this isn't an issue which affects. Uh, deferred, this isn't an issue which affects anybody at the buy-in stage, and it generally isn't an issue for your pensioners if they only have benefits within your particular pension scheme. However, where a particular pensioner is affected, and therefore loses their fixed protection on the scheme moving to buy-out, they will be subject to a heavy tax charge in respect to the benefits in excess of the lifetime allowance. One of the main problems for trustees, of course, is that you won't always know who has fixed protection in your scheme. It's easy to identify your high earners in your scheme, but you generally will have no idea where what members have saved elsewhere, and therefore who could also potentially be affected by this. So where does this leave trustees? Well, firstly, this has been acknowledged as an issue within the industry and there is recognition by HMRC that the legislation needs to be fixed. Unfortunately, we don't currently have a timetable for when that might be done. So if your scheme is in no particular rush to go to buyout, there is hope that this all could be fixed by the time that you get there. However, if the plan is to move to buyout in the near future, there are potential ways to structure your buyout uh, in order to deal with this issue. So you will need to take legal advice and obviously engage with your chosen insurer as early in the stage as possible in order to look at these options finally given this issue is likely to affect a few pensioner members but can have potentially severe consequences for those individual members the trustees will want to take steps to identify any members with fixed protection who could be impacted as early as possible in the process so you will want to think about this in in communications more generally but certainly in the run-up to buyout so that brings this episode to a close I hope it's been interesting and informative for you all. Thanks to Elaine, Amanda, and especially Usma for their input today. As I mentioned at the start, this is the last in a three-part series on de-risking, with previous CMS pension law costs covering longevity swaps and commercial consolidation. So please do check those out. Thanks, everybody, and take care.